What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and not alongside me today is Adam Kalal, and we are Atlanta's own. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, black yes hijinks, and analysis. Normally, I would ask Adam how is it going, but Adam is out of town this week uh, visiting our old nemesis slash friend slash former captor, Mark Andre, in sunny San Diego. So I will be flying solo today. I try to get our longtime user, sometime contributor, Joseph Bell, to join me. Unfortunately, he had a family obligation tonight, so I'm flying solo today for the first time in Atlanta's own history. And uh, we'll be having a special guest a little later to talk some Atlanta United, though. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the acquisition of Jack Peterson. We got him for single-A first baseman prospect Bryce Ball, who I didn't really know too much about. Apparently struggled to hit single-A pitching, despite the fact he drew 40 walks this year, which is a pretty insane number. Um, But, you know, the young man is moved to the Chicago Cubs organization. We get Jack Peterson. Peterson's contract is up after this year, so this is kind of like a a rental, see see what we can do. Got to try and pick up the slack for the lack of Acuna's uh, production, unfortunately, due to him tearing his ACL. So it's been good so far for Peterson, though. He's slashed 294, 333, 529 in a Braves uniform. Um, He's also drawn a walk and hit a homer and has driven in four runs. I've been impressed with his approach at the plate. He definitely has that Los Angeles Dodgers mentality, for those who might not remember. Peterson hit a couple of bombs last year off of us in the NLCS that were... uh, pretty devastating and it was good to see him come here and sort of apply that same sort of mentality of grinding out at bats after for the entire season we've bitched and moaned and whined and complained about god why can't we just have a better approach at the plate guys swinging at the first pitch guys swinging at pitches out of the zone guys getting themselves out of hitters counts uh it was nice to see peterson you know take some pitches work the count make something happen he does have some pretty weird splits so He's known for his immense power, which comes pretty much against uh, right-handed pitchers. 11 of his 12 home runs have been against righties. However, he slashes 216, 280, 428 against uh, right-handed pitchers while not hitting hardly any home runs off of of left-handers. Only one home run hit this year. He slashes 292, 374, 15. So Snitker announced after the trade that Peterson would be the everyday leadoff hitter. And if you were to just look at his on-base percentage, his average, uh, based off you know his his uh, production against right-handed pitchers, you'd be like, oh god, no. But then you see he has 11 home runs against him. And then on the on the flip side, you know he's got no power against lefties, but he still gets on base at a great clip at 370 and hits uh, at 292. So I, I think it's going to work out with Peterson in the leadoff spot. Um, I don't expect him to fill the shoes of Ronald Acuna. I don't think that's going to happen. By the way, Acuna did have uh, surgery today on his ACL that apparently went uh, very well out in Los Angeles. So we wish him a, a speedy recovery there to help us next season. But, you know, Peterson's looked good so far. It's been a small sample size. But he's gone up against, you know, two quality teams in the in Tampa Bay Rays and Padres and certainly held his own and um, definitely helped us win a couple of games, the couple of games we have won out, out of the All-Star break. So this Tampa Bay Rays series kind of epitomized just the continued frustration the Braves have have experienced all season. They lose two out of three to the Rays. Should have swept them. The offense actually did its job. You know, the offense scored 20 runs in three games and looked really good out there. Unfortunately, the bullpen once again breaks down. A lot of that falls on the shoulders of A.J. Minter, who blew game one and subsequently also blew game three. Chris Martin 
didn't really help him out in game one either. And once again, it just exposes this um, problem that the Braves have had all season with their inability to put together a cohesive bullpen that can consistently shut people down. This is the 20, it was the 21st and 22nd game that the Braves have blown this year thanks to the bullpen. If you just split that in half, we are winning this division. You know, Anthopolis went out and got Peterson. He went out and also got some catching help with Stephen Vogt, who's a two-time All-Star from the Oakland Athletics. Now, those All-Star appearances came like six or seven years ago, but it's a sign that, at least he's saying, that the catching production still isn't adequate. And I think uh, Luke Croy got sent back down again. Vogt's come in here and gotten a bunch of big hits. I think he had a two- or three-hit game yesterday against San Diego. Um, definitely provides an upgrade in terms of his ability to throw out runners throughout a, uh, I think throughout Tatis the other day, trying to steal a base, which was really nice to see. And, you know, even though he hasn't been hitting that well this year, he's certainly a solid veteran player that I think can provide more than the other quote-unquote solid veteran players that we've gotten uh, this year at, at catcher. You know, Luke Croy is, is over the hill. Jeff Mathis is way over the hill, damn near 40 years old. He's hitting like 170 the last two or three seasons. So you hope with Vote he can provide some stability back there. And he's called good games. Tuki Toussaint emerged in the uh, doubleheader yesterday for the Braves and was just outstanding. It reminded me a lot of his first game, I believe it was in 2018. I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019 against the Marlins where he just came in and threw like six innings of great baseball. It was kind of the same thing again yesterday in game one where Toussaint comes in and does really well throws six and two-thirds in his pitch, only gives up three hits, strikes out five. Only threw 79 pitches. He just ran into some trouble in the seventh inning. Thankfully, the Braves' bullpen was able to bail him out. Uh, the adventure that is Tyler Matzik got out of the inning. Chris Martin finally got his shit together and got the hold, and Will Smith you know, gave up his customary base hit before shutting the door for his 19th save of the season. But the real story yesterday was Toussaint coming in and being able to provide some stability for the rotation, who is missing Ian Anderson right now. Um, hoping he gets another turn, see what he can do. Um, he's had kind of these, these starts before where he comes up, looks great, and then implodes. Last year, that wasn't the case. He just looked like trash the whole season. But he's had other appearances where it's been like, okay, we're seeing why the Diamondbacks drafted this kid with the first pick in 2015 or 14 or whenever it was. And you hope that carries over and that can lead to some more success. He even said that one of the I mean, one of the thing that was crazy to me yesterday is, you know, the first game comes on at like 1230 or something, so you got the game on in the background. And, you know, I look down and I'm doing some work stuff for, you know, five minutes. I look up, the inning's over. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Turns out Tukey threw eight pitches, got out of the inning with no problem. And you started to notice as the game went on, when I actually started paying attention to it, he was just attacking the zone. It was a very different approach. He wasn't trying to overpower people. His fastball wasn't as fast as it usually as it was when he was uh, really good or even when he wasn't it was down a couple of uh, notches in terms of miles per hour but he was locating really well and able to keep hitters off balance going back and forth between a, a splitter a fastball a curveball and you just noticed that he was just pounding the zone pounding the zone he said that in his post-game interview about how the biggest difference and this is I think hopefully an illuminating sign that he's going to get better but the biggest difference for him has been just you know let guys get out, pitch to contact a little bit. Don't, you know, don't leave anything too fat, but, you know, don't be afraid to throw strikes, fill up the zone, fill up the zone. And, you know, that strategy paid off yesterday against one of the best offenses in the league in San Diego. Great performance by Tukey. 
And then the second game of the doubleheader yesterday, we had uh, Braves go down 5 nothing. Bryce Wilson did not look good. Uh, unfortunately, it was his first appearance since that great game against the Pirates, I think on May 22nd. And uh, it looked out of sorts. Padres roughed him up. The Braves came back and uh, got within one run. It was 5-4. to four. Then we had a three-plus-hour rain delay, and the game was called. Um, so it was suspended. And the Braves and Padres will pick it up. So this series is undecided, currently split at one game to one. And yeah, I mean, the, the wheel kind of keeps on rolling for the Braves in the sense that it's just the same team we've been seeing. And we, we're going to have to make a move for at least two or three bullpen arms if we want anything. I, I know everybody wants Joey Gallo. Everybody wants Joey Gallo so badly. And yeah, he would be great. He's like sixth in the league in home runs, has an absurd on-base plus slugging, even though he still struggles uh, with strikeouts and things like that. But you know, he would be a guy you plug into the middle of the order that gives you that absolute thump that you've been missing this year uh, without guys like Ozuna and now Acuna being out. So, you know, yes, I'd love for that to happen. I mean, the problem is, is that what are the Rangers asking? You know, if they're if they're willing to uh, get Pache and Waters and uh, Kyle Wright or something, then, yeah, you might consider that, even though it kind of guts your outfield prospects uh, for the next couple of years. But you know, if they want to ask for people like Michael Harris or Muller, who once again looks really good um, in his outing at San Diego, even though he didn't go that deep, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to do that. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Mark Teixeira trade, a, you know, 2007, I believe it was, 2006 Braves team that made that trade, where he gave a shit ton of prospects to Texas. And a lot of those prospects made up the core of a Texas Rangers team that would go on to win back-to-back American League championships. And it left the Braves with jack shit, um, other than, you know, a year and a half of solid play from Teixeira. It also screams, you know, other other moves like this that have been made. You know, where we give up Adam Wainwright for uh, B.J. Surhoff or whoever the hell that was. Or J.D. Drew. It was J.D. Drew. Excuse me, not B.J. Surhoff. You know, and it's just like you got to consider the rest of the team. The rest of the team isn't, isn't great. I mean, we have great players, but you got to start thinking about the future here a little more than the present. You go all in and overpay for a guy like Gallo, even though you do get an additional year of control. This season is pretty much lost in terms of being a real contender. And who knows what next season brings because you're losing guys who have been pretty critical this year and Morton. And I can't believe I'm saying this drew smiley. And it's like, who's going to replace them. We don't know what the hell is going to happen with Mike Soroka in terms of his health, Bryce Wilson, I'd love to be able to say that he can come back up here and be given a chance to actually pitch uh, more than two starts before being sent down, but I don't know what the hell is going to happen. So you're looking at a rotation next year of, in terms of who you know will actually be in the rotation. It's Max Freed and Ian Anderson. Other than that, I don't know what to tell you. Could Tukey slide in there? I don't know. But I wouldn't want to start trading you know, a bunch of my pitching prospects for a year and a half of a guy who can definitely hit the bejesus out of a ball and would put on a hell of a show for the Braves, I think. But is it worth it when you're going you're gonna to have a lot of question marks in your rotation? That's something that Alex Anthopoulos is going to have to ask himself because there's been a lot of rumors linking the Blue Jays and the Braves kind of emerging right now as the top contenders for, for Gallo as we near the trade deadline. And we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But I really hope if you want any chance of winning this division this year, Anthopoulos is going to have to do it in 2019. He's going to have to go get three relievers. I remember when we got Shane Green when he was good, Chris Martin, and Mark Melanson. We're going to have to do something like that again if this team's going to want to go to the playoffs. Or if they have any chance, 
in the playoffs at all, this bullpen ain't going to do it. Because the offense is spunky. You know, I like guys like Heredia and Almonte. These are grinders. These are guys going out there and just doing their thing and not getting caught up in the moment of having to fill in for, you know, Ozuna and Pache. And, you know, it's like they, they weren't supposed to be here. Freddie Freeman is Freddie Freeman again. All you people who are bitching about Freddie Freeman, guess what? The guy's got five home runs in those last seven games. He started the All-Star game for a reason, even though it's a glorified award or whatever. But, you know, he, he probably wouldn't have gotten all those votes if he was still hitting 220 or whatever. Dude's on fire. Face of the franchise still. Ozzy Albies continues to be solid. Jock Peterson's provided a boost. Austin Riley is, is still as solid as they come. It's just this bullpen, like I said, it's blown 22 games this year. It's just unacceptable. And if you, if you want to field a legitimate major league team that can actually contend for a sliver of anything, Ephopolis must get three bullpen arms. If he does not, then then you know what? My expectations will remain the way they are. This is just a season that is, uh, it's sort of like, uh, you know, if you're told that a company, a company you're working at is, is shutting down and uh, it'll be shutting down the next two months and you just sort of have to go through the motions and get through it. That's what this season will be like if we do not make a move for any sort of bullpen pieces. I applaud the move for vote. I applaud the move for Peterson, but it doesn't solve the real problem. And we all know what that is. All right, that wraps up my Braves coverage. Y'all know the score. You know the story. If you don't get multiple bullpen arms in here, we're fucked. And to move on to another fuck situation, we're going to talk about Atlanta United with our special guest, Alexa Waldrop, I will call you now. Welcome back to the show. It's been. Well over a year since you appeared. I've had you on to talk about the Braves, the Falcons even. You were a guest on the 100th episode. But you've contributed mostly to our Atlanta United coverage, along with uh, user Joseph, who couldn't join us tonight. So we welcome you to the show to give us a full expose on what's going on with Atlanta United. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for those that don't know, and this goes out to specifically Mark Andre and Hugo, who are the only two people I think in the world that get all their sports knowledge from the show. Gabriel Hines, the new Atlanta United coach, has been fired after a tumultuous, what, two, three months? How long has the season been going on? Let, let, let's start there. Uh, I mean, he's been here since December. Okay, so this is his first year with the team, and after the loss to New England, we have now gone eight straight matches without a win. A lot of draws and losses. Yep. Uh, so there's been a lot of things cited. Tense relationship with Joseph Martinez. Um, crazy training methods. No one likes him, apparently. Uh, so what, what What the hell happened? Uh, Let's yeah. start at the beginning. At the beginning in December? When, yeah, when he was hired. Okay. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't know a lot about him coming in. I knew he was a former soccer player player pretty big star um he'd been coaching down in in argentina and his coaching methods were apparently pretty well known um from what i've been reading about this week which is kind of strange to me that the atlanta united front office either decided to ignore his coaching habits of what you were saying before like not giving people water training them hard enough to have multiple people injured uh, in practices throughout this year. Joseph Martinez walking off the practice pitch, coming back from an ACL injury, uh, things of that nature. And apparently 
you know, things are now starting to come out that down in Argentina, a lot of his players had eating disorders to stay slim because there were penalties for gaining weight and things like that. So it just sounds like he was super, super intense. But, so I don't know what happened there. I don't know where the breakdown was in the front office, whether they ignored it, didn't find it. Doesn't seem like it would have been that hard to find, but yeah. So it seems interesting to me that Eels and Bocanegra, the team president and general manager respectively, bring in a guy like DeBoer, and then I can't remember who the the name of the guy was who came in after DeBoer. It was Steve, uh, Stephen Glass. Okay, him, and then Hines. It seemed like Glass was kind of an intermediary dude who wasn't expected yeah. to like you know they knew they were going to take their lumps that year and and so be it. But DeBoer did not was not suited well for the team style of play, and then Hines is a militant asshole who would seem like his his approach also goes against MLS protocols in terms of player safety and things like that. So it's like, you know, if we if we know this, why didn't they know this going in? I mean, it just seems crazy that it's like square peg round hole, it feels like, with these last two coaches. But particularly this guy, who admittedly is inheriting a lesser team than United has, is, is used to having and things like that. But still... I mean, the, the, the training methods are, are, are just barbaric, it sounds like. Uh, I, I, do, I don't understand their, their line of thought on, on what's going on here. Yeah, it's not great. And to, to put things a little bit in perspective, um, you know, Tata was not known for his amazing training methods either. He was also someone who had injuries in practice and had at least one complaint logged against him. So I, it may just be the style of coaching from the coaches were getting but you know obviously it worked out with Tata or it hasn't worked out for Hines right but I don't I don't think Tata was as intense no I mean Uh, even if he had some times where he was a little too hard or or would would push people too much I I don't think it was to this degree this sounds like uh the medical staff had to come in a couple times because not only was he denying them water he was limiting the amount of water they were allowed to take and I mean this is Georgia it's hot I mean not that it's not hot in Argentina or anything but it's like you need water. Yeah, I mean it's just a basic core of life, for God's sake. Yeah. And the, the I mean, maybe Tata had an infraction lot against, but multiple players this year, according to AJC, have come out and and filed grievances, like mm-hmm. like well over two or three. So it's like I don't know. I mean, I'm glad that the guy is 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 gone because it's not like he was just damaging the team uh, and the franchise, but. It's, it's just an odd scenario that things got so bad. And here was another crazy story. So after United loses to, uh, uh, I think, the Red Bulls, um, there, was a, there was a delay on their flight, and they don't leave the airport till 3 o'clock. And they get a text at 4 a.m. or something like that, all the players, that they're still going to be training that morning when they get yes. back to Atlanta, which mm-hmm. is just insane. Yeah, and there'd be times, too, where people... Sorry, the players wouldn't know that they were starting until like nine ten at night for a game the next day. So it's like the way he treated players too in terms of no one's a starter, everyone's a player. He would kind of shift people in and out, and I think that was difficult for the team as well. Obviously, there was something going on between him and Joseph Martinez. Martinez is one of the players who is clearly very not ha- not very happy with the way Hines coached. Um, 
I'm sure he saw what was happening to his fellow players as well as coming off his own very major injury. He did not want to get hurt again. And that whatever he was doing didn't sit well with Hines. It led to Hines not starting him or having him play in the last couple games, which is absolutely insane. So I'm glad that when the choice came down to Hines or the King, the King is still here because, of course, that's going to be the decision. Um, so at least at least he's still here. Yeah. Emerson Heinemann, a midfielder, tore his ACL. And one anonymous Atlanta United player said that, you know, they're just killing, and I quote, they're killing the guys with two practices a day. Yeah, and Barco can't stay healthy. Um, there's a number of guys, I think it was like five or six people that have been injured or just can't stay healthy. And I think a lot of that is because of the practice methods and just practicing too hard and, and too much. Um, I get wanting to get your players ready and have them be the best they can be, but if they're so exhausted they can't play in a game, you know that's why we're not winning. And then you have the personal things going on where you won't start the best player on the team for whatever reason, and that's just not acceptable, especially with a team that is not doing very well. You know, we can't take eight winless games. That's crazy. I think he's two, two, four, and seven in charge of Atlanta before he got let go, um, and that's terrible yeah and i'm all for you know a tough asshole leader but only to a certain extent you gotta be able to adapt to your personnel it doesn't sound like that's something he could do uh what's the plan now in terms of bringing in a new coach and two do you have faith in boca negra and eels to actually do that considering their consistent failure since Tata Martino is gone. I don't think there's been any plans as of yet just because it's so new. There hasn't been anything really about who they're bringing in or are they going to bump someone up to be an interim like they did after DeBoer left. I I assume that's what's going to happen because we're in 10th place and, you know, we're midway through the season. So I just don't, or even more than midway through the season, actually. So it, it wouldn't really make sense to, like, hire somebody at the moment. Maybe they will. But, um, I don't really have that much faith just over the last two hirings I think the front office really needs to take a look at the culture of their club and get somebody in that is adaptable to that or is already doing that because two times now as you said they've hired people that aren't aren't the style of the club which isn't necessarily a super bad thing but if you can't compromise or can't adapt to it that's where these problems have come up. It happened with DeBoer, and now it's happened with Hines. So they, I don't know where that disconnect is, and I don't know why they can't see that there's this disconnect, but something has to has to change because the team's just gone, has had a super fall from grace and gone downhill, and it's, it's sad to see. And I mean, I know Tata was kind of like lightning in a bottle, so you, you're not going to get something like that ever again probably, but we uh, we shouldn't be this bad, so we need somebody in here for sure. But do you think we've also, I think it's just, a, I mean, you know, it sounds like coaching, especially from Heinz, has, has, has not worked at all. But the personnel isn't, doesn't seem to be there as much either. You know, Martinez is coming off this ACL injury. Guzan, even I know it's Guzan, I like to call him Guzan, it's getting older. Barco can't seem to stay healthy. Almiron is gone. And who was the old captain, Parkhurst, who everybody loved? I mean, I know he wasn't the greatest player, but it just seems like from a chemistry standpoint and from a skill standpoint, the difference between, you know, say the inaugural season or even the second season, the championship season versus now, couldn't be, they couldn't be further apart. It's night and day difference. Yeah, it is. And a lot of that has come from 
personnel leaving, like you mentioned, Almiron and a few others. But uh, I think we have some good players that are on the pitch right now, especially Robinson, and that makes me nervous. I mean, he's a defender, but that makes me nervous because I feel like every time somebody gets really good, they go to European League or something like that. And, I mean, who can blame them? They get paid more money. Um, They get to go be on better teams. So it's something that kind of just happens and we have to roll with and we need to find people that fit the team. And mostly we've been scoring through setup pieces, which has been interesting because I feel like when Tata was here, most of the time we scored in the open field. We did a lot of runs. And I think we just need somebody that can be like an Almiron that can just go on runs who's fast and who can feed um, Martinez the ball. And we don't get that ever now. It's It seems like it's very difficult. We also don't ever play the ball in the air, and that's not good either. Like We need people who can get the ball down the field and don't have to keep it on the ground all the time because it just gets it, it's easy to turn it over that way. And it's great to even score on set pieces, but I feel like... You know, and even in free kicks and everything, we, we haven't gotten around it like we used to be. Like, Almiron used to be the guy that would kick it over the wall and get it in the goal, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's just like, we don't have uh, those people quite as much. And uh, I love Gazan, but he's he's getting old. So I think, you know, next year or something, it's probably going to be one of his last years, He'd be looking for a new goalie. I don't know if that's going to be Alec Khan taking his place, um, but... We'll see what happens. I think there are just some changes that are going to have to happen, and we don't have to. We're not too deep at any spot either, which is another issue. Sounds like there's a whole host of problems there for Atlanta United, and something that will probably not give you a lot of comfort is Darren Eels was saying in this Athletic article. Uh, we won't specifically use a search term, but what we will use is we always use a sort of third-party analytics and some people in that area as well to help us. So it sounds like they're just going to do the same thing again. And no. bring in a guy who's incompatible with the team. based Because they said, you know, we always use this. So it makes me think, God, you guys have gone through four coaches in five years. I mean, Jesus Christ. Maybe change your approach. Well, I think part of the another problem, I'm just all problems here today with Atlanta United, is ever since we haven't had the money from the expansion, I can't remember exactly what that's called, but we had a certain amount of money that we were given extra because we were an expansion team. It's a salary cap, right? Yes, yeah. it, but that went away. Like mm-hmm. after, that's how we were able to like get Tata and these other people mm-hmm. was because we had this uh, extra money. And it seems like ever since that's kind of gone away, we haven't been as good. Which makes sense, I guess. But it's like, okay, can we shell out some more money to get some better players or to get people here or to get you know certain coaches here or what, whatever it may be? I don't know. Maybe that doesn't play into it at all. But I was just thinking about that. Um, and how it may affect things. Yeah. The one thing I've wondered about is it seems like every coach has been not an MLS person. Why not try to get someone who has had some MLS success in here to lead the team? Well, I don't know about with DeVore, but I think Hines seemed like a really good hiring at the time because of where he had coached and where he had played and because we have a lot of players from um, – Latin America and South America, it seemed like a good fit and a good culture fit too. So, and he's an up he was an upcoming manager slash coach. So, I mean, even if he has his little things going on, I don't I don't think it was a terrible hiring. I mean, of course, didn't know about all the practice things and you know kind of the dictatorship he had over certain things, but um, I don't that one's 
bad in hindsight, but I think at the time of hiring, if they truly didn't know about these things and didn't just overlook them, that it was not a bad hiring. DeBoer, I don't know what they were thinking because that's just completely out of left field. I don't know if they thought, okay, if we completely change things, maybe it'll work. Because you know? a lot of the, the core of that team was, was still together. You oh, still yeah. You had Almiron yeah. and yeah. Martinez. And a... Maybe they thought if they just stuck someone in there, the team would... And they did. They kind of did because, I mean, not that, still the didn't, yeah, not that the board didn't do anything. I don't want to take like credit completely away from him, but I think you could have put pretty much anyone on that team and they would have taken them to the playoffs, you know what I mean? Right. Like, um, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how many good coaches are in MLS or even... I mean... I don't know why they, they they wouldn't. I guess that could be a route. I don't know if that's a route that you necessarily want to take or if they would cost more money than bringing in someone outside from a different country. Um, I feel like it all boils down to money in the end and how much you're willing to spend on your team. And it's also, I mean, we're still a baby team, so it it feels kind of, you know, spoiled to sit here and be like, oh, my team, they're so terrible. And it's like, well, you did win a championship in your second year of being a right. sports team. But still, it is it is hard to see them be so good and fall so fast in the next two years. It just doesn't really make sense. But well, We know Arthur Blank is a patient, patient owner. He's going to give Eels and Bocanegra time to get it right. I think with Bocanegra's contract's up next year. I don't know about Darren Eels, but you'd have to think that after the repeated failures of the last few years, their seats are a little hot. I'd hope so. They need to show something in the next year. Again, like this season's so close to being over, I I think it'd be a little unfair to be like, turn the team around by you know the right. end of October. Like it's. But it seems like next year would be kind of a. I mean, you still could. It's only July. I don't know yeah. why I'm thinking it's so close to fucking October. Anyway. But it seems like next year's going to be kind of more of a doer. Do or dies. At least get back to the playoffs. Shows yeah. some sign of growth that the that the team can actually compete again. Because mm-hmm. they they you know ever since that playoff loss in the board, it's just been all downhill. You know, Lane United made such a huge impact when they first got here. Not only in terms of the excitement of having a soccer team, and there's so many soccer fans who live here, but they were actually good. They were exciting, even for me. You know, as uh, someone who has. Uh, not, not a big soccer fan. I could at least say I was entertained. I could get into it. Now it's like I don't remember the last time I watched a United game. I know you were watching the. I think well, we watched a little bit of that New England game. We did, yeah. But it was still just like if you just looked at the way that team plays compared to the old teams. I know it's unfair to compare those teams given the difference in uh, personnel. It was just like, man, this is boring. This is why I don't like soccer. That's all I. That's all I thought at least. Yeah, they were definitely more fun to watch. It's it's interesting because they were, I think they were having more fun, which is what I want to see them get back to to being like, because that was that's what I thought was so cool about the team as well. In the first couple years, you just knew they were having a good time. I mean, of course you're gonna have a good time when you're winning, but it they they were having a good time, and now it just doesn't seem like that as much. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like it's been miserable. Yeah. It sounds like it's hard to have a good time or perform when you're exhausted 24 yeah. hours a day, it seems sure. like. And practicing at 10 in the morning after a flight from New York at 4 a.m. So it's just, yeah, good riddance to Mr. Hines, and uh, see what happens in the future for Atlanta United. But it was good to talk some soccer for the first time in a long time. 
actually had to do some research for this one. It's weird. I was like, who's Gabriel Hines? I never even knew what the guy's name was until right now. I told you what his name was. You're so full of it. I know. That wraps up this Atlanta United segment. Thank you, Alexa, for coming on. We appreciate it. And that wraps up today's odd episode of Atlanta Zone. We'll see you next week with probably a normal episode. But until then, rise up, chop on, stay in brotherhood, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Thank you for listening. Now it's been time to sip.